Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. There we are. Good morning and welcome. I, I'm glad every single one of you are here today. Uh, just uh, happy that we're all able to be here and worship the Lord in song and listen to what God has for each of us to do. I want to just reinforce what Matt just talked about on the on serving in the with the youth and the 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 uh, cards in the next room here in the lobby. Uh, such a great opportunity. God has uh, created and get, gifted each of us individually for the things that he's prepared for us to do. And serving with the skills that God's given you brings no greater joy. And so this week, as you think about that, or today even, as you go by and look at that wall, uh, just think about how God would have you serve this next generation that comes up. Um, mentoring and teaching kids Helping them learn to love and serve and follow the Lord uh, is no greater joy. So, um, we're reading in uh, Judges chapter 6 this morning, and you can read along in your Bible or watch it up here on the screens. The people of Israel did was what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains, and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. As we open to Judges chapter 6 in, our, uh, in week 3 out of 4 of our series by faith, so often you read stories, especially in the Old Testament, and you have a Sunday morning quarterback where you're like, dude, Jesus is already raised from the dead. How did you not get it, Gideon? Like, what are you waiting for? We think about this in, in light of our own lives and, and how we respond and how we think, what we talk about, what we're trusting in. That's what we worship. Whatever we're thinking about, talking about, looking forward to, that's what we're worshiping. And so much of the time, I get caught up in, in, in the trips we take, especially coming off summer, and so much of our conversations were about the trips that you or I took. And it's like, yeah, I know, I, my trip was pretty cool. It was Florida, two weeks, you know, not to put your, your time out in maybe Central Valley. But it was hot, humid, but there was water everywhere, and there was gator. Like, and we, we saw a couple cool things, and that's what everyone talks about, your trips. And then it's like, well, what's the next trip? After you get back from that trip, what's the next one? And it's surfing, biking, golfing, backpacking. Oh, what are you doing on your house? Oh, I'm building this on my, what are you doing? And you're comparing. And 
getting back to school, you're talking to families, and all of a sudden it's, you're not comparing, but you know, you've seen the little clips on YouTube or social media, whatever, of like travel ball, travel baseball dad versus rec baseball dad, and and you start to hear, oh, well, we were just got back from a weekend and travel soccer, and, and you know, Mike is there, and I'm like, you're not, je- no, no, I'm not jealous. Hour goes by, yeah, I mean, maybe one day soccer club, you know. Three hours goes by, yeah, I think I'm done with rec soccer. I need to do club soccer, you know, and it just weighs on you. You're not comparing, you're not jealous, you're not, and, but when you start talking with people, you realize, wait, you got to do that, and I didn't. Like, you were doing that last weekend, but we were at home, or we were traveling, but not to that cool vacation destination. And then you open your phone, or someone sends you a link, and you're like, man, my life is pretty worthless. Like, all these people are doing these amazing things. What am I, what am I doing? And we realize the reality of what we're spending our time thinking, wanting. We realize that's what we're worshiping. And after we look at this story, we're going to see... Like Gideon, we're cowards. I'm a, I'm a coward. When I spend so much of my time either anxiety-filled or desiring something other than God, and I'm not talking about Jesus. I mean, think about as a family of believers, how often have we got together, grabbed a cup, a cup of coffee, a lunch, and said, hey, here's what God's doing in my life. When was the last time we did that? When was the last time you sat down with someone and said, hey, I'm struggling. Like, I got this diagnosis, doctors don't know what's going on, I, where's God? My marriage is rough, my friendship's rough, I don't know, I think my employment's terminated. Like, when do we have these real conversations and, and bring it before the feet instead of it's thinking about something or longing for something to bring us what only God can, can bring us? So that's where the nation of Israel found themselves. And Gideon's hiding out in a den in a wine press with some wheat he snuck under the nose of Midian before they could take the ox, the sheep, the goats, the, the wheat. And there he is. And, and the Lord shows up. The angel of the Lord's like, hey, I'm here. Oh, mighty man of valor. And Gideon responds the same way you and I do. If you're God, then why are so many bad things happening? Where have you been? If you're God, the angel of the Lord's here. Remember what you did for my forefathers? You got us out of slavery in Egypt. Then you brought us to the promised land. Things aren't looking good. Why are so many bad things happening to your people? And we substitute, why do bad things happen to good people? Because we're Americans. We think everything's good. And so we see the angel of the Lord responds and says, go in this might of yours and save Israel, the hand of Midian, do, do not I send you? So the angel of the Lord, Jesus, starts with himself and then projects, you're a mighty man of valor. And then his response is, I'm doubting your character and power in my life. Let's talk about you first. What are you doing? Why aren't you doing what I want? And then the angel of the Lord's like, go. You're supposed to be going and doing things, not hiding in a den as like a coward. What are you? I'm sending you. Let's talk about me again. It's all about me. God's very self-centered in a good way. And the Lord, Gideon says, before that, the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. You failed us. And he's saying, no, 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 you got to go. I have a plan to protect, a plan to prosper, a plan to conquer through you. You need to go. So then Gideon 
It's like, okay, okay, so let me just make sure you're legit and you're the Lord. I'm going to go get some dried bread and some soup, and it's like, we're going to have a lunch. I don't know what you would do if the angel of the Lord showed up, but that's probably not my first go-to. Like, hey, I got some stale bread. I'm going to just have lunch and make sure you're the angel of the Lord. So he goes, comes back, and the angel of the Lord's like, all right, we'll hang out, wait for you to come back. And then he takes the staff, touches it, engulfs with flames, and then he leaves. And the angel of the Lord tells Gideon, you need to go take down on these idols. Because before you become a mighty man, before you can see victory, you need to remove these idols in the center of town. So he's like, okay, I'm not going to do that in the middle of the day. People could see me. It's dangerous. I'm going to do it at night. I'm going to get 10 of my servants. We're going to take my dad's ox and pull down these idols. He does it. The next day, everyone's mad. They're like, we've got to kill Gideon. Because it's a small town. They know you know, the red light roundup, he's in the newspaper. Everyone's like, oh, man, he smashed mailboxes and tore down the idols. Let's kill him. And then his dad, which if you're a kid, that's one thing. But then Gideon's dad shows up and is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know logic, like today, has left the public square. Logically, if these were gods, couldn't they defend themselves? We don't need to defend these idols. So then everyone's like, yeah, Gideon, let's follow him. And he's like, come on, guys. So he gets a bunch of people together, and they're like, we're going to fight against the enemy, the intruders, the Amalekites. And here's the reality. He's still doubting. He's still a coward. And he says, okay, God, I have this fleece. I want you to put water on it in the next day, overnight. I want the fleece to have water and all around it be dry. And God does it. And then the next day, he's like, that was cool. Do it again, but reverse it. I want the, the ground around the fleece to be wet and the fleece dry. So God does it. And he's like, okay, hey, cool. So then this army that's forming around him, God says, hey, there's too many people. They're not fit. They don't, their hearts aren't in it. Let's get rid of a lot of them, most of them, if not all of them, but 300. So then Gideon's like, all right, Lord. I mean, hey, you're bringing victory. You're doing it your way. I'm a little confused. And the Lord knows. Gideon's confused, and he's still a coward, and he's doubting. So then the night before he gives him victory, he says, Gideon, let's go for a walk. You know, it's a, it's a full moon, kind of romantic, but your wife's not with you, so get your boys, and let's go for a walk into the enemy's camp. You're like, what? This God does some weird things. And so he takes him into the enemy's camp, and he hears all the rumors that are going around, and everyone's like, dude, we might as well just surrender now because God's man is Gideon and he's going to kill us all and we're all dead. And so Gideon hears from men's mouth the same promise God spoke to him in the cave. And Gideon's like, hey, let's go get the boys. We won. Let's go do it. And now Gideon's excited. And he goes and gets the guys. He's like, hey, we're going to get our torches, put a jar of clay over it, and then pot to, to conceal us in, in the cover of darkness. We'll surround them. We'll smash the pots. Everyone will go into a frenzy. The torches will show they're surrounded. They'll freak out, kill themselves largely, and we'll win. So they do. And they're like, hey, we won. And then Gideon gets pumped. And he starts chasing after these two kings of the Midianites that escaped. And he runs into this one tribe that wasn't invited to the party. And they're bummed. They're like, dude, you guys have this great victory. And here we are, not invited. This is, that was lame. That was not cool. And so Gideon could have been like, dude, I don't know, stinks to be you, but instead he used wisdom and said, hey, let's think about this. You know, sorry, but let's, you know, you're still part of the family. We'll still be friends. And they're like, okay, cool. Just want to make sure. And then it changes. Gideon no longer is a coward and he's not a conqueror anymore. Now he's compromising and he crosses 
Jordan. And when he crosses Jordan, now it's personal and it's not God's purpose, it's Gideon's purpose. And he chases after these kings and these other guys are like, we're not going to join you in the fight. You got your 300 worn out soldiers and they go after these kings. He captures them, brings them back and he's like, all right, son, kill him. And his son's like, I'm too young. I just can barely hold a sword. Gideon's like, ah, send a boy to do a man's job. So grabs the sword, kills him. And after that, everyone's like, Gideon, you're awesome. You're a new king. And he's like, no, 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 God will be your king. But I want all the, the crescent moon necklace that's super blinged out, fancy. I think that'll look great. Maybe, you know, and I know it's a moon worship and kind of came from the Middle East. It's the Muslim crescent moon. There's necklaces. He wanted that and all the gold. And he took all of the, the, the treasure and riches and Gideon went right back full circle to worshiping idols. And then he had all his wives, 70 kids. A few years later, Gideon dies. Everyone forgets about him. And his son, Abimelech, from a concubine, comes in and kills all 70 of his kids but one. Pretty much wipes out his whole family. Great Bible story. Have a good week. Here's the crazy thing. What in the world just happened? You start right where the story ends. A coward in misery. His whole family's wiped out because of his sin. His sin of adultery. Why do we talk about idolatry now? Do we have idols? I haven't seen an idol. You know, I've seen one that some people would get mad at me for, but it's Statue of Mary. We just don't throw rotten bananas at her feet. But we pray to her as a statue in a yard. And gophers are scared. They're like, that thing's gnarly, and they run away. But everyone else is like walking right by like, why do you have... Anyways, okay. We don't really think about it. It's just kind of a weird... You know, you have a land gnome. I got the giant Mary. That's what it is. It's just a statue. Some people pray. Most don't. But do we really have idols? I mean, you go to... You go to other countries and they have the little statues down there, a shrine, and there's money and there's rotten food and other stuff, and that's an idol, right? But when you think about it, God said, hey, we're going to do some great things. I'm, the, I'm here now. I'm going to bring victory. We've got a problem. We've got an idol in the center of town. What are you doing? You're worshiping idols. The land, the nation of Israel is defeated, and you're worshiping an idol that's, I'm the living God, and I'm going to bring victory in your life. Let's get rid of this idol, worship me, get you spiritually right, and then physically we'll take care of business and restore the land, and you'll have your homes and your food and your families again. And that's the outline. I want to hit three things today. I pray that we remove idols from our lives. We'll define it, do some work there. Second, I trust your pride will be hurt, and you'll be humbled like Jesus. Because as I wrestled with this, I got to be honest, I didn't want to do this story. I was like, oh, it's a good story. Yeah, I'm going to skip over it. And uh, like a lot of other pastors and commentators, they don't have anything to say about it. And usually when that happens, I'm like, okay, Lord, you want me to dig in here and find out what what we're going to learn and how we're going to look like Jesus? Because right away, Jesus shows up and is like, the Lord's here. It's Jesus, angel of the Lord, I'm here. And here's what I'm going to do through you. And that's when it gets personal. Because Jesus is the focus, and he always hurts our pride and humbles us to be like him. And the third thing, that we're going to walk out of here and be excited about looking forward to building God's kingdom, not our own together. So the first thing we see as we get to work, Gideon is a coward. He has to remove idols, and he's cowardly worshiping idols. This is the nation of Israel post-Joshua's death. 
They go into the promised land, and then they realize, hey, you know all those gods we used to worship in Egypt? We should make some of those. We should start worshiping these false idols again. And then after they worship other gods, then God says, okay, I'm going to forsake you, which is a, a nice, gentle way of saying, I'm turning my back on you for a minute. You're going to be punished. You're going to face the consequence of worshiping other gods because they can't help you. They're going to only hurt you. And then you're going to cry out to me and I'm going to turn my back around and go, yay, I'm here. I'm going to save you. And then you're going to say, yes, you saved us. Anyways, worshiping idols again. And it's this vicious cycle of apostasy, worshiping other things other than God, serving another nation, not serving God. And then you're going to cry out to God because it's painful, it's awkward, it only hurts you, and then God's going to help you and save you. So what in the world are we talking about? Idols is looking, we define it this way, an idol is looking to anything to give you what only God can give you. An idol is looking to anything to give you what only God can give. So oftentimes it's a good thing. And we take a good thing, sometimes God gives it to you, and we go, thanks for this good thing, I'm going to make it an idol. Man, I've always wanted a car, I can't wait to get a car. Oh man, hey, that car worked, but I want a nicer car, I want to upgrade, I want this, I want that. And it's good things, we make a God thing. I want a spouse, I want a job, I want a career, and all of a sudden it's like, man, I didn't know I could work 100 hours in a week, that was crazy. And I need more money, because once I buy this, now I've got to maintain it, and I want to get another thing, and then it's power. I want power. Or maybe it's pleasure. You're just so focused on pleasure. One high to the next, one vacation to the next vacation, to the next skydive, and ride a bike, and snowboard, and surf all in the same day. I mean, why not? Let's make it happen. We're Americans. And then you can have a YouTube channel, and you'd influence the whole world. Because then Patagonia would pay you to wear Nike shoes, and your whole gear would be all sponsored because you're an influencer, right? Like, that's the goal. Why would you need to go to work and get stuff under your fingernails when you could just hold a screen up and influence people? And that's what that's what'll make me something. Because I'm nothing right now. I'm hiding in a cave, I'm cowering, and, and I see all these people have all this influence, they have pleasure, they have power, they have fame. And so we we see that idolatry is saying, I am nothing without, and you fill in the blank. I'm nothing without that person. I'm nothing without that thing. I'm nothing without that experience when really only God can satisfy that need. So I am nothing without, and you fill in the blank, then I am out to something. That's a sentence that really reveals in our heart where our idols are. Seven years of bondage under the Midianites brought Israel to the lowest point they've been. Instead of riding on the high places like Deuteronomy 32 says, they were hiding in caves and dens, trying to scrape together enough wheat to make some bread. The Israelites were not even allowed to harvest their grain because Gideon was hiding in a wine press, trying to ground his and make a little loaf, sneak some bread. And that's when we see that God had forsaken. He handed his people over temporarily to be oppressed because they were worshiping idols. And an angel Jesus comes and says, Gideon, angel's here, the Lord's here, and you're a mighty man of valor. He's not mocking him. He's saying, look, I'm going to create in you the character that's going to be mighty, and you're going to be a man. Are you ready? And Gideon's like, well, if God's so good, why do bad things happen? Like, okay. Are we sixth grade still? Like, are you mad that someone didn't say hi to you at church too, Gideon? Like, come on. Go up and say hi to somebody. Jesus is here. Are you not like... You know, Mary, David, all the others are, Abraham blows my mind. God's like, hey, who are you? And Abraham's like, I don't know, who, what? 
And God's like, well, let's get moving. Pack your tent, walk across the desert. I'm going to talk to you. Abraham does it. He doesn't say, well, hold on. Wait a minute. Let's talk about this. Let's have lunch first. Wait, hold on. Can we do this fleece thing? He just does it every step of the way. David's like, wait, someone's making fun of God. Okay, I know what to do. David wasn't like, hey, God, should I do this? Can we talk about this? Can we have a four-step conversation to figure out how I can kill Goliath? David just goes and does it. There's a difference here. When Jesus says there's a mighty man, he's saying like he said to Peter, I'm going to build my house. I'm going to build my church on this rock. Peter's not a rock. He's a coward too. But God used him. He built Peter, made him like Jesus. Gideon's unbelief, which was seen in the cowardice, he's saying, if, why, where, how, what's this going to look like? Why haven't you been here, God? Why has life been so hard? Gideon confessed that God had forsaken his people. And God met his unbelief with these promises. The Lord is with you. You shall save Israel. Have I not sent you? Surely I will be with you, he says. Faith then comes by hearing God's word, as Paul tells us in Romans 10. So without Gideon hearing God's word over and over, and God being gracious and patient with him, which some of you, you're a little slower to move. Your feet just don't move as quick. You got to think it through and have all the details. And so you're like, yeah, Gideon, man, just keep pushing God, get the details. But that's where it's by faith. Your faith has to grow. But it's also, hey, God honored the faith of Gideon, even though it was feeble, even though it was awkward, even though it didn't, couldn't quite stand on its own, God still showed up and said, all right, let's do the fleece thing. Okay, all right, I know you're not going to charge down the hill unless you know there's victory at the bottom. Let me show you what they're, they're already defeated in their mind. Gideon required a sign and God graciously granted it to him, 19 through 24. It's not the best example for us to follow, because we know that Jehovah Shalom means the Lord is our peace. Gideon didn't need all of that, but yet he requested it and God gave, which reminds us of doubting Thomas. He's like, dude, you guys got all these, these signs and you had all these experiences. And Gideon likewise is like, dude, Moses got to see this. My ancestors got to see this. Joshua got to come walk around the wall of Jericho. Where's my, I want it, I want it. I want it too. I want that tangible like experiential God moment, hi, let's go. And so I can't fully fault him for wanting that and, and pushing and having that relationship that you do with, with an intimate friend or someone that, especially physical love language, those of you that just can't help but crawl into someone's lap or hug them, it's like, dude, most people, will space there, but you're like, what space? Let's go. And you just wrap up and maybe your kids are that way. My daughter is, it's like, hey dad, what's up? And just jumps on me. I'm like, okay, just, yep. This is your love language. I got to embrace you, right? It's a little direct, a little forward. And other people are like, that's really awkward. Like, that's a lot. And that's where Gideon's going. I need you, God. I'm weak. I'm feeble. And I need to know that you're here in it through me. And then it moves in from this coward to conquer. And we see that when the Lord shows up, he's focusing. He's like, meet me here, Gideon. It's not you. Stop thinking about you. Let's get removed these idols, what are you looking for to bring you this satisfaction that only I can bring? Keep your eyes on me and let's go to, to work now. Let's go to battle now that you're worshiping me. So we see here, Gideon the conqueror, I trust that your pride will be hurt and you'll be humbler like Jesus. 
It's one thing to meet God secretly, but God calls Gideon to be doing public work. So he tears down the idols. Second, we see that there's 32,000 men that rallied by his side, and God said, no, we're going to take that down to 300. And then we're going to bring out the fleece, and we're going to show you that I'm still God, and I'm going to use you, and I'm going to make you like my son, and you're going to go in in victory. And on the night of battle, God still saw Gideon's fears and let him see, no, it's already won. The battle's won. Hear the sign. See the, your enemies already mentally conquered, emotionally defeated. And Gideon quotes God's promise of victory to the people in verse 15. He was relying wholly on the word of God, that victory was already theirs in the Lord. And we see that God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. When Paul's telling the church in Corinth, you guys are in sin, you guys aren't looking like Jesus, you're not known by your love, but hey, come to Jesus. It's by the grace of God, let's start following him again and don't feel defeated. You're a conqueror, you're more than conquerors, the writer of Hebrews said. And we see these steps in Gideon's victory are easy to trace. He has a promise to believe from God, an altar to build, a vessel to break, a lamp to burn, and a trumpet to blow, and God gave the victory. And he conquered his feelings. When Ephraim was the tribe that wasn't included, he could have been like, yeah, whatever, forget you guys. But he said, hey, no, we all have a role to play. And in Proverbs 15.1, he gave a soft answer that turned away wrath. And it took him a long time to get to this point. He challenged God, if you're with us, then why are all of these bad things happening to us? He made excuses. I'm weak. My family's the smallest, and we came from the smallest clan. There's no hope. You got the wrong cave. Go to the next one. I think that guy's bigger, stronger, faster. I'm not worth it. And it's in his wine press moment, his Gethsemane, where he surrendered completely to God's will. But it's a Gethsemane moment with a difference. There's no struggle there. Where Jesus was in the wine press at the Olive Garden, and there was a ton of struggle. And there's no resignation for Gideon. He's like, all right, cool. The angel of the Lord's here. We'll do this. Where Jesus was looking at the cross going, man, this is intense struggle, intense agony is about to set in. Instead, there's amazement at what God has just done. And Gideon is simply in awe that God brought victory to them, and he falls on his knees and worships. And unfortunately, the story continues, and Gideon's the compromiser in chapter 8. And he's not building God's kingdom anymore. Now he's building his own and he goes across the Jordan. When he crosses the Jordan, that's the boundary set. God was like, here's my place. You have enemies coming in, attacking you, stealing your food. And instead he sets his eyes on what's not his. And he starts chasing people that he's already defeated the enemy. But now he's like, but I'm going to judge them. And I want to be the judge. And so Gideon and his 300 men pursue the two kings and the men of Succoth and Penuel, they wouldn't assist him. And so Gideon's like, well, I'm going to avenge myself for you treating me poorly and doubting me. I'm going to go get the kings. I'm going to bring them back, and I'm going to show you what's up. And he tormented them with thorns and briars, and he got the kings there. And then he told his son, hey, kill him. But he's like, I'm a kid. So Gideon killed him himself. After achieving this great victory, we must, like, Gideon realized, man, that's where the temptation to sin comes in. Hey, we've got some success. Our business is growing. We got back from vacation. That was a great time. And school's up. And let's just kind of hit cruise control. That's when the enemy's like, yeah, just be busy. Just be focused on your thing. Focus on your career, on your schedule. Just go, 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 go. And you haven't picked up the Bible in who knows how long. 
Satan loves to attack us when we least expect it. The nation asked Gideon to become their king, and he's like, nope, no, the Lord should rule over you. But Gideon says, I want the lesser thing. I want the, the, all the treasure, and I'm going to make an idol, and I'm going to worship that. Gideon made an ephod, an idolatrous statue, and 70 pounds of gold he collected. Interestingly enough, what the Midianites could not accomplish through swords and military occupation, Satan accomplished with a few necklaces. And how quickly, especially with our resources and our ability to have experiences and and power and influence, can our hearts just be led astray and worship an idol instead of the God who saved us. The subsequent history of Gideon's family is not encouraging. Seventy of his kids, minus one, his wives, everyone killed because stepped outside of God's plan. It's one thing. It's like, hey, man, I, everyone has more than one wife. Why can't I? Like, look at me. I, I, I saved Israel. Like, I'm kind of a big deal around here. I can have more than one wife. I can do whatever I want. I went and took out two kings with 300 guys. Like, what's up? Who's going to come at me? And this is a story of the one true God in control. And you're like, man, God, if you're in control, this doesn't look like it. Once again, why are you allowing these crazy things to happen? But he's saying, look, I know your heart is always prone to wander. Your heart is always wanting more. It's always going to want more. And the only thing that can truly satisfy is me. So let's get rid of the idols. And let's realize your pride. You think you can have God and idols, and you can't. You cannot do it. You're only going to serve, Jesus says, you're going to serve one master. You're either going to love one and hate the other. You can't serve both God and money. Jesus already knew what we were going to talk about today, idols. And he knew that at the heart of it is probably going to be money. And the reality is, no matter what we say or, oh, no, I'm not struggling with money. I'm not, really? What have you been talking about the past couple days? What's been burdening you? Oh, we would do club soccer, but the money. And then church. Oh, we would do that thing, but then this. And then, man, money seems to come up a lot. And Gideon was so focused on that. And he was lazy. He was a coward. I don't want to rule. Let's let God do that, right? Give me all the money. And you look at it, you're like, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty cush that's a pretty good temptation. Like, yeah, I'll have the accolades without any other work. That'd be cool. And Gideon says, no, I've had, I've had enough, but I'm going to go beyond the boundary that God's accomplished the victory. I want more. Are we worshiping ourselves? Are we worshiping what we get from God? Is it our job that we're worshiping and we're spending so much time thinking, once we get that to a certain place, or once we have enough performance, or once this project's done, then I'll put time into my marriage. Or once I get to this, then I'll spend time with my kids. Are we focusing so much on the things God's given us that before we know it, we've made them an idol? Is it our possessions? Man, that's great. Once I get this thing, then I can get that, and then I have to maintain that, so I have to get more money to pay. Oh, shoot. Man, I think I've been spending so much time on that and not with God and not doing things that's building God's kingdom. I'm building my own. Then the only time we feel tension and, and that's why people hate when people bring up money in the church is because, it's not money, it's because we're talking about kingdoms. Is it God's or yours? And you realize if I have to give time and talents, which also equals money to God's kingdom, your kingdom decreases. And that freaks you out. Because how are you going to change your oil? How are you going to add on to your house? How are you going to put a, a pool on top of your house? Like, how are you going to do that if you don't have, if you're investing in God's kingdom? Like, those are the things that, 
That's why it's hard. It's not because of money. Money is just a piece of paper. It has some guy's face on it. It's, are you valuing God's kingdom or yours? And that's why Gideon's like, sure, I'll spend some time doing some things because it'll eventually help my kingdom. And then when it comes time, he's like, anyways, back to my kingdom. I got to sit on my throne. And that's why idolatry is so tough for us to not only identify, but then surrender our idols. Our culture is full of idols. Now, maybe some of you were downtown Tascadero and you saw some cars driving by and you're like, dude, I want that idol. Or you're like, man, I don't have any problem with idolatry. I just really went home and looked on Facebook Marketplace or eBay for a used car and started diving into that. And we don't have idols in the center of town, maybe on a cruise night or a parade, but typically we don't have an idol there. The idols are in the center of our hearts. And because the idols are in the center of our hearts, we can hide them. And we can, we, we've learned how to talk around them instead of saying, okay, God, you're here now, and there's no room for this idol. I have to surrender it to you. And our central focus is on the reality that we're worshipers. We are made to worship. We're made to give honor and, and praise and to say thank you for who God is and what he's done. And when we say thank you for what an experience or what a thing does, and we start becoming so inundated with that, now we're worshiping an idol. So why is the church so anemic? And why is there so many opportunities missed? Because we've been allowed idols in our lives. We think, oh, I can have some idols Monday through Saturday, and then I'll sit in a chair Sunday and hear someone open God's word. But the crazy thing I read this week is, when you read the Bible three days a week, nothing changes. Statistics and, and they look at your brain and they look at your emotions. Nothing changes. You can read the Bible three days a week, nothing will change in your decision making or commitment to Christ. Four days a week, it's like 300% increase in your willingness to surrender to Christ and build his kingdom. And, and it's interesting because Deuteronomy doesn't give us that much grace. It says every time you get out of bed, walk around, and every time you go to bed, you're talking about God's word. That's 365 days, seven days a week, every make, waking minute you're talking about Jesus. That's what scripture says we should do. And then it's cool, scientists kind of try and make it, oh yeah, well you could do four times and you're like, okay, cool. So I, I was a little scared sharing that, but have we read the Bible every single day this week? Have we been in prayer going, hey God, I'm really concerned about this issue, help me with this. Or are we going to our, our pocketbook? Are we going to, hey, if my job does this, or hey, if I spend a date night, and then I'll get something, and she'll get something, and we'll feel good, and then I won't yell at the kids so much, and they'll be better. It, is it all about experiences, or is it bigger than that? Are we praying for God's kingdom to expand? Are we looking for how we're going to be more than conquerors in the spiritual realm and spread the gospel because Jesus is coming back soon? Last week, we had all these kids get baptized, and it was so sweet. One of the girls was like, man, Jesus is coming back, so i got to get baptized. Like, he's coming. And it, it was just this, in, in, like, intentionality but integrity of, like, we have to spread the gospel. There's not a whole lot of time left. So if I'm going to invest in a kingdom, the one that's going to be destroyed or the one that's going to be eternal, I want a good return on my investment. In our workplace, are we using our influence, whether it's a coworker or whether you're the boss, to empower others, or are we looking to blame others because we're building our kingdom and our reputation? When we think about this, this is humbling because our church can be more healthy and, and more loving if, if I'm serving you better, and we're in process. 
So it's a little discouraging sometimes when it's like, oh, we need to make that better. Let's improve this. Let's love this and let's go there and manage that tension and, and go reach this person. And, and how are we doing? And then wanting more, praying for more, but also saying, okay, Lord, where's our Jordan? Let's manage our space and not be discontent and trying to do more just to, to do more because I'll look better as a pastor. I have a great hiding place, probably the best one, right? Who's going to check on me? The elders and you, hopefully, you're praying for me, and hopefully you're going, hey, Lord, reveal stuff. If this guy's off, we got to keep him in line, but he's trying to keep all of us in line and also going, hey, is he wanting too much? Are we wanting too much? Jesus said, I want you to go to the whole world, but is it for our name or is it for Jesus' name? Is it our kingdom or his? So as we close, are we praying that our idols would be removed? Are we praying to remove our idols? Because we're always going to miss it. We're always going to cross the Jordan if we have idols. And the idol's always going to come back to self. If we're worshiping ourselves, then we're just going to be so blinded and go storm ahead and go, yeah, it's in, it's in that guy's name, God's name, it's his kingdom, but it's really my house is bigger. I have more cars. I got to go on more trips and look at me and I'm, man, I got one more thing because I'm feeling discontent now. Or are we truly going, man, we have more families coming to church, which means we get to steward more and equip more parents to disciple more and reach our county more efficiently and reach our state and our country and our world for Jesus' name. And we're following Jesus. And it's amazing because when we remove our idols, we can see clearly the pride. And our pride can get hurt like it did today and go, man, that hurt, but I'm gonna be humbler like Jesus. I'm gonna love better like Jesus. And I'm gonna build God's kingdom, not mine. My kingdom will decrease, and I'm going to increase God's kingdom. So I'm going to sign up. I'm going to grab a card, and I'm going to pray. Because maybe your, your schedule is slammed. Like, dude, I can't, but I can pray. I'm going, to, I'm going to give my prayers. So may we build God's kingdom and not our own. May our pride get hurt today. And may we be humbler like Jesus, as we've defined a disciple as a humble servant committed to following Jesus. And may we remove the idols, as hard as that is. It's going to take work. It might be like, hey, I got to get into a life group or I got to grab someone and say, hey, I think, I'm, I think this is an idol. Does it look like an idol to you? Yeah, it does. Let's get it out of there. And that's going to be like, oh, okay, how do I do that? What does that look like? It involves community. Let us go and be known by the love of Jesus, the one who's leading us home. We have a home that's not here and we have to be known by the love of Jesus who's making us look like him. As the author of Hebrews says that we're more than conquerors, it's when Jesus is with us, is the Holy Spirit's in us, guiding us, leading us, then the medical diagnosis we don't want to hear, the, the challenging relational season maybe you're in with the coworker, boss, or spouse, it's, it's the Lord's doing to make you look more like Jesus. And you lean into that and go, okay, the Lord's here. There's a mighty one of valor. It's not always trying to make sure you have in and out lined up or food. It's it's bigger than that. It's, hey, there's a spiritual problem that's manifested itself physically. It's your idol worship. And it still is to this day. So as we spend time in communion for those who believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he went and fought the battle. The battle that was separating God from man. He went and fought the battle of sin that was separating us from God that would bring us in relationship with God. And so we have elements that will be passed around. If you didn't get them on the way in, just raise your hand. And if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, this is a time where as believers we say, hey, we're, we are cowards. And, and we are more than conquerors in Christ, but we're guarding against compromise. We're going to 
remove our idols. We're going to seek to follow Jesus as he leads us home and build his kingdom, not our own. And we know now that God's wrath, it's not about me, it's not about the, the cup, it's about the fact that God's wrath was against all of us since we're all sinners. And thankfully, Jesus took that wrath in our place. And so now the cup's turned up, upside down. It's poured on Jesus, not us. And so I'll give you a minute to pray and allow the Holy Spirit maybe to re- reveal in your life where there might be an idol, where you might be saying, you know, I'm nothing without blink. Then I amount to something. And, you, and you're looking at that thing to give you what only God can give. May the Holy Spirit reveal that to you. And I'll give you time to pray, and then I'll come up and close this.